0: Tonight we do come to the the ninth commandment. Uh, You'll find it in in verse 16. Uh, Here we have the ninth pillar that God gives us for our moral foundation. And Exodus 20 verse 16 says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now all of these commandments are always needed, Uh, but in recent days, truth-telling has come under perhaps heavier-than-usual attack. Even in just the last 12 months, we've had the rise of so-called alternative facts uh, in which groups of different political convictions each have their own spin on the truth And with competing narratives and competing understandings, Americans have begun to lose confidence in the truth, wondering if we can know truth at all. Uh, Some have come to believe that at the end of the day, there is no truth, just different perspectives. Uh, Fake news has caused Americans to be cynical about every claim. Uh, We're slow to believe anything. Uh, Whatever you think about our current president, and I believe we should honor his office and we should pray for him daily, Uh, there's no denying that he has not been careful when it comes to speaking the truth, but recent surveys and studies suggest that he is not at all unusual. In a report released in August, 85% of companies surveyed had caught candidates lying about themselves on their resumes. Another study showed that people lie an average of 10 times per week. But that study was done through people self-reporting their own lies. In other words, there's good reason to believe that many people lie more than 10 times per week. The study also found that there is a huge spectrum here that, that some people really do try to be very careful with the truth and some people lie very seldom while others seem to lie almost every time they open their mouths. Uh, a significant number of people lie to the extent that they themselves lose their bearings and end up believing their own lies, whatever they happen to be. Uh, the human race has a significant Problem with lying. But what do we see in this ninth commandment? What is God setting apart for honor in this ninth commandment? And the answer is truth. Truth. Here is the way of righteousness and blessing. Here is a principle that should shape your life at its most fundamental level. You are to be, I am to be, a person who honors the truth. Who holds fast to truth. Who speaks the truth. Our God has never spoken a single lie. His every word, every word is true. God loves the truth. God cherishes the truth. Jesus Christ is himself called the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, everything finds its existence and its purpose and its significance in connection to Christ. All things are from Him and through Him and for Him. All truth finds its beginning and its end in Christ. Because our God is the Creator, the Sustainer, and the Worker of all things, every truth is God's truth. As Christians, there should be no subject in the world where we stick our heads in the sand and try to ignore the truth. We're to be a people who embrace truth even when it doesn't fit well with what we want things to be. Even when truth doesn't fit our preconceived notions, even when truth challenges our current beliefs, even when truths are just inconvenient or uncomfortable, we are always... To embrace truth. If something is clearly true. Then we must honor that truth as true. And as part of God's world. And as part of God's plan. We as Christians are never to be involved. In deception. Blurring the truth. Intentionally casting doubt on the truth. Isaiah 65, 16 twice refers to God As the God of truth. Psalm 51.6 says that God delights in truth in our inward being. What brings God joy? When He sees truth in His people. When He sees in our souls that we know truth, believe truth, rejoice in truth. When truth is in us, it brings God joy. Philippians 4 8 says that God's people are to think on things that are true. Psalm 45, speaking of Jesus, talking about his majesty, uh, says he rides out victoriously for the cause of truth. Why did Jesus come the first time? For the cause of truth. And why is he going to come again? For the cause of truth. God is perfectly true in His every divine thought, His every divine word, and the fulfilling of His divine purpose. There is no hint of deceit in God. Only perfect sincerity, perfect genuineness, honesty in every conceivable way. But deceit lies deep in us. Like snakes slithering in the darkness. Fleeing from light, human beings try and want to run away from this reality that when we are confronted by God's holiness, His perfect truthfulness in all things, the depths of our dishonesty are revealed, and we see how wicked we truly are. His perfect purity is like a bright light that shines on us, and suddenly we who thought that we were pretty clean begin to see in the bright light of his holiness just all the grime and the goop that's on us. The puritan said it's like pulling back the curtains in a window, letting the sun shine in, and suddenly all the dirt and all the dust in the room are exposed. God reserves some of his strongest warnings in the Bible for those who engage in lies. Uh, Proverbs 6 lists seven sins that are an abomination to God. That is, these are seven sins that are a horrendous stench in the divine nose of God. These are seven sins that anger His righteousness. And two of the seven have to do with dishonesty. He talks about a lying tongue. And he talks about a false witness that breeds out lies. These are both an abomination to God. How often have we told our children, what you did was bad, but lying about it was even worse. Nothing makes us less like God and more like the devil than lying. Nothing marks us out as depraved and in need of a radical change than the characteristic of lying. Our Bible begins in Genesis with humanity's terrible fall. And why did we fall? Because we listened to lies. And the Bible ends with both Revelation 21 and Revelation 22 telling us that those who lie will spend eternity in hell. From beginning to end, the Bible has strong things to say about dishonesty. Satan is the father of lies. He's called the deceiver When we listen to his lies in the garden, his poison entered the human race. And so the Bible says that the venom of asps is under our lips. That is, deception marks Satan, but ever since the fall, his poison has been in us. We've we've all become carriers of this satanic poison called dishonesty. We're now children of the father of lies. For we all have done just as He does. And it's not that we're basically good at heart, but just occasionally lie now and then. You know, the Bible, in our own experience, makes clear that lying runs deep in the human race. In Romans 3, Paul quotes from David in the Psalm, saying, Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Both Paul and David are describing the entire human race in these words. So think about that picture. Our throats are an open grave. In other words, when human beings open their mouths, they are letting out the death that is inside of them. So it's like rolling a a stone away from a tomb so that the stench of death comes pouring out of that tomb. And here is what the death inside of human souls sounds like dishonesty deception lying words proceed from lying hearts deceptive intentions deceptive deceptive motivations all human beings are guilty of lying. Paul uses this to show us our inward corruption. Paul uses this particular sin, lying, to show the depravity of every man, woman, and child because it's universal. We are rotten inside. We are on the opposite we are the opposite of our God who is all truth. But this is why Jesus came, isn't it? This is why Jesus came. He came to save liars. Uh, He came not only to bring us forgiveness from this terrible sin, but Jesus came to put the spirit of truth inside of us so that we would be transformed by the spirit of truth. When we believe on Christ, not only are we forgiven of having broken the ninth commandment, but the Spirit is now renewing our minds, helping us to see the truth, embrace the truth, love the truth, and speak the truth. We were once slaves to our lying hearts, but now we have new hearts. And Christ has set us free from bondage to dishonesty. Christians, unlike the rest of the world, really can live honest lives. We really can speak the truth. We can be a people because of the Holy Spirit inside of us marked by a carefulness to only say and affirm that which is accurate, correct, right, true. We can be true imitators of our Heavenly Father, the God of truth, And no longer children of the father of lies. Christian in this room. Do you know who you are? Do you know whose child you are? Have you embraced your new identity as a child of the God of truth? And have you embraced the freedom that Christ has given you? You don't have to lie any longer. Lying is rooted in fear. Lying is rooted in, in sinful ambition. We don't need those things anymore because of Christ. If God is for you, who can be against you? Now that you are free from this bondage to sin, don't go back to the way you used to live. Be a person marked by truth. Committed to truth. So now motivated by our new identity as children of God, lovers of Jesus, heaven-bound, blood-bought Christians, we're going to ask the question, how can we now be careful to keep the ninth commandment? And so in that regard, we're going to spend the rest of our time noting some particular applications of this commandment, Uh, but I see you looking at your notes. So first, quickly, I need to make sure you see the connection between the eighth commandment and the ninth commandment commandment our God could have simply said you shall not you shall not lie that would have been more general that would have been clear we are to be people of truth the ninth commandment could just be you shall not lie but God chose to focus the ninth commandment on one particular example of lying the commandment focuses on lying about your neighbor Remember how the first commandments are about our vertical relationship with God, how we love God? And these latter commandments are about our horizontal relationships, how we love one another. We we love God by loving others, and these last commandments teach us to do that well. Well, in the eighth commandment, you love others by respecting their property. In the ninth commandment, you love others by respecting their reputation. What is a person's most valuable possession? Don't the Proverbs say that a good name is to be desired above riches? It's a dangerous thing to steal someone's reputation through dishonesty. In the Eighth Commandment, you do not steal a person's possessions. In the Ninth Commandment, you do not steal a person's good name. This is what a false witness does steals a person's reputation, mars it, takes away their good name. Now, there may be a little disconnect for many of us because this is actually the language of a courtroom. And most of us spend little time in courtrooms. Courtrooms are not a regular part of our lives. That was not the case for many in Israel. Conflicts and disagreements were being heard most days at the city gates of each town. The elders would sit at the city gates, and people would come to them with their cases, and they would be tried right there publicly at the city gates. This was something that was seen by all. Children grew up seeing these cases handled in the city gates. Moreover, these elders had no access to DNA evidence. Or to video surveillance footage to be able to decide cases. When they heard cases, so much depended on witnesses. It all depended on witnesses. If two or more witnesses agreed together on what they had seen or what they had heard, that often determined the outcome of the case. If you were accused and two or more witnesses stood against you, that sealed your fate. And so why, you, you see why lying witnesses were such a big deal for ancient Israel. It only took two people willing to lie together before the elders to give false testimony. And you could be killed, you could be exiled for a crime you did not commit. And therefore the Old Testament laws put a very high priority on honesty in judicial settings. What is an abomination to God? A false witness who breathes out lies. How did the Pharisees get Jesus on a cross? They used false witnesses who breathed out lies about Him. Deuteronomy 19, 18 and 19 says, The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. And so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Uh, The law and the prophets of the Old Testament also say a lot about the importance of honest judges. Judges that will not take a bribe. Judges that will not allow justice to be perverted. Uh, Bribery often meant letting lies win the day while your pockets get rich. Deuteronomy 16, 19, You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. God says courtrooms are to be a place of truth. But of course, a false witness doesn't have to be in a courtroom setting. Anytime we say something untrue about anyone else, we are being a false witness. So now let me give you 11 forms, 11 forms of dishonesty that we are to stay far away from in our lives. Here we go. Number one, there is slander. Slander. Slander is telling lies about someone else That harms their reputation. Telling lies about someone else that harm their reputation. So Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. A good reputation is more valuable, more precious than money or vast possessions. Slander is a lie intended to harm someone's reputation. How serious is this? In Romans 1 verse 30, slander is listed as one of the marks of those who hate God. The Apostle James speaks of slander as demonic behavior. God's people are to love God by loving others. And that means handling the names and the reputations of others with great care. And in our culture, I need to make sure we understand that includes the names and the reputations of public figures, political figures, actors, and athletes. If we are not able to verify that something is true, we should not help spread it. To help spread a lie that harms someone's name or reputation is slander. Number two, gossip. Gossip is very similar to slander. Gossip is normally something we hear from someone else. It usually tickles our pride. We feel good that we have that information, and we feel good that we get to be the one to share it with someone else. We know that others will find it juicy, and we're glad we get to be the ones to tell them. Gossip is usually negative information about someone else. It tickles our pride and gives us a sense of superiority because oh, we would never do those things. Also in gossip, sometimes the information being passed on is true. And sometimes it isn't. But here's the common mark. Rather than going to the person themselves and finding out directly what is true and figuring out how to love this person, what love would have us do, gossip, gossip goes to others and passes on info about someone else to others. And as anyone who has ever played the telephone game knows. As information continues to be passed from one person to the next person to the next person. It often gets further and further away from the truth. So think about how your tongue is being used. When your life is being affected by the good news of Jesus. The result should be that your tongue is is now an instrument of Christ to serve others, not to harm others. Ephesians 4.29 teaches us that in light of the mercy and the grace that we've received from God, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Uh, One little poem says, The tongue can spread suspicion. And reputations steal. But when the Lord controls our tongue, its words will soothe and heal. How is your tongue being used in the service of King Jesus? Is it being used to build up or to tear down? Uh, By the way, keeping ourselves from speaking gossip begins by being resolved not to hear gossip. So Proverbs 17.4 says, An evildoer listens to wicked lips and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. So so notice the implication. You become an evildoer just by listening. You can commit sin and do evil just by standing there with open ears. If a friend starts speaking negatively about someone to you, and it's not clearly motivated by a genuine desire to love that person well. You should put your fingers in your ears. You should change the topic of conversation. Don't give gossip a listen. Number three, there is twisting the truth. Twisting the truth. You know what this is. Twisting the truth is where we rearrange the facts And edit them in such a way that they paint an untrue picture. So we were talking in Sunday school this morning. It sounds like uh, President Trump made a comment to a widow recently. And that that has been taken way out of context. And twisted to make it sound as if he was speaking in a way that he surely was not speaking. I heard Joel Osteen preaching on the radio recently. And he said, I don't know about being a prosperity preacher, but I'm definitely not a poverty preacher. He said, not one scripture says that God's people are to be without the things that they need and desire. And he went on to say that God's people ought not to be poor, depressed, or defeated. Why? Because he said, Jesus said that he came to give his people an abundant life. Now, Mount Hermon, some of what Osteen says there is true. Jesus did say that he came to give his people an abundant life, or actually life abundant. But what Osteen did there is he twisted the truth and made it sound as if the abundant life Jesus came to give his people was a life of abundant material and emotional blessing right here, right now, in this life. Uh, he preached that verse in such a way that the Christian who is poor should feel ashamed of their poverty because they're not living the kind of life Jesus came to give them. And yet that's twisting the truth. Because the life Jesus was speaking about, the abundant life, was spiritual life. It's, it's life given by the Holy Spirit. It's the life of holiness and faith and peace and security in the gospel. Uh, to use that verse the way he did, and many other prosperity preachers do, is to twist the truth. It's, it's to say a true verse, but to frame it in a way that it's used to teach a false doctrine. The Bible warns us that this will happen. Uh, Peter, speaking about the letters of Paul, Says in 2 Peter 3, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. What happens when you give in to false teaching? You lose your own stability. Peter says, I'm telling you this ahead of time. I'm warning you. People will twist the scriptures and they will try and make them mean something different than what God and the human author were actually intending them to say. He says, be careful. Be alert about this. Don't don't be carried away in these errors. And so as we've seen even on Sunday mornings and Hearing about what God did in Martin Luther's life. How important was context? How important was it for him that breakthrough in Romans 1 that changed his life? It all came about because he took heed to the context of the verse. Paid attention to what the author, what God and Paul were saying there. Here is the question for us. Do we ever twist a truth so that it suits us better? Do we ever quote people out of context or use their words against them without actually being honest about the whole point they were really making? In conversation, do you intentionally edit the facts, particularly of stories that you tell, so that you come out looking a little bit shinier, a little bit better? Do you leave out details to make you look better? Are you precise and careful with the truth, or are you fast and loose with the truth? We're going to move a little bit quicker. Number four, there is improper joking. Improper joking. Uh, This is important. We need to be clear on this. It is okay to say something that isn't true as long as you're clear that it isn't true. So if I tell you a story and I start out by saying... Um, you know, once upon a time, you know from the get-go that what I'm telling you is a fictional story. I'm not lying to you by doing that. And if I tell you a joke, and it's obvious that it's a joke and that it's not a true story, that's perfectly fine. If I say a, a scientist, a lawyer, and a doctor walk into a bar, you don't think, which bar? Who was that scientist? No, you, you get the idea. It's, it's a joke. It's, it's a setup for a joke. But there are times when joking can go too far and when we really can deceive people. There are times when we can try and get laughs at our neighbor's expense in a way that really does harm their reputation. When joking goes too far, it is a violation of the Ninth Commandment. So listen to Proverbs 26, 18 and 19. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and then says, I am only joking. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, is the man who deceives his neighbor and then says, I am only joking. There is a time and a place for joking. We can praise God for good jokes. We can praise God for for jokes that make us laugh. But when joking comes at the true expense of others, When joking comes through deceiving others or harming the reputation of others, it's too far, it's not right. Number five, cheating. Cheating is lying. I hope I don't have to say too much on this one. If you turn in a paper with your name on it, but the answers didn't really come from your mind, but from someone else's mind or someone else's paper, that is deceit, that's lying, And Christians are to have nothing to do with cheating. Number six, there's flattery. Flattery. Uh, It has been said that gossip is saying behind someone's back what you would never say to their face. Flattery is saying to someone's face what you would never really say behind their back. It's saying positive things that you don't really mean to someone in order to manipulate them. Or to get something from them. My dad told me years ago that whenever he became the pastor at a new church and he moved to four or five churches while I was a kid in the home, he said it was always those people, always those people who buttered up to him at first, who would end up treating him the worse later on in the ministry. He said he could always spot the, the future troublemakers because they would be the ones who were super kind to him up front. And he said these people, they weren't being genuine with their words, they were saying what they said in order to get him to like them because it furthered their goals of wanting to have power in the church, wanting to be able to use him for their own purposes. That's flattery. Uh, We saw this in our study of Daniel. If you remember, the, the rulers and the satraps of Babylon wanted Daniel out of the picture. And so they flattered King Darius. They claimed that they wanted to honor Darius by establishing this decree that no one should pray in any other name but the name of King Darius. What could be more flattering than that? Than to have everyone praying in, in, to you and you alone? And these leaders came to the king claiming that everyone who is anyone really wants this. They said, quote, All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors... We are agreed. O king, we all want to honor you in this way. Who could say no to that? Whose ego wouldn't grow big when those underneath you come to you with a proposition like that one? And yet, Mount Hermon, we must beware the snare of flattery. Proverbs 29.5 says, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net underneath his feet. And that's exactly what we saw. King Darius was a fan of Daniel. He liked Daniel. But through flattery, a net was being set under the king's feet. And he got caught and he got manipulated by his flatterers. In Romans 16, Paul speaks of those who cause divisions in Christ's church. He says this, Such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, They deceive the hearts of the naive. How are people deceived? How are people led astray? It's often through flattery. How often have you seen people fall into this trap? Their true friends are trying to love them by telling them what they need to hear, even when it's hard. But others are flattering them. Others are affirming them. Others are tickling their ears. And so often the flatterers are being counted as true friends, while the true friends, speaking the truth in love, are counted as enemies. We must beware of that. Don't fall for that, church. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Love demands that we be careful with the truth, speak the truth, and that means we must not flatter. If you want to encourage someone, I hope you do, look for what you can point out in them that is truly good. Don't tell them they did a good job if they didn't do a good job. Look for something they truly did well and then encourage them there. Now, because of limited time, I'm simply going to tell you the next four kinds of lies and we're going to talk about them on Wednesday night. Okay? So here are the four kinds of lies we're going to talk about on Wednesday night. Let me mention this too. We're also on Wednesday night going to talk about something that's not in your notes, but it's what's called the, the lie of necessity. This is the idea that some people have that there can be situations in which you are forced to lie in order to truly love someone. So those who hold to the lie of necessity would say that in certain situations, it is not only okay to lie, you must lie. Love demands that you lie for the sake of that person. And the classic example that's given is this. Imagine you're a Christian family in World War II, and you're hiding Jews in your home from the Nazis, the Nazis are trying to kill them, the Gestapo shows up at your door, guns in their hands, and they ask you, are there any Jews in this house? Do you lie? Is that a lie of necessity? Is it, is it breaking the ninth commandment to say to these Nazis, there's no Jews here, when in fact you have them hidden in your closet? Is it okay with God for you to lie in that situation in order to save people's lives even though he's still the God of truth who hates lies? So that's a a tough question people get into, so we're going to talk about that on Wednesday night. Here are the other four kinds of lies we're going to talk about on Wednesday night. And these are lies, some of which we're tempted to commit every single day. Number seven is the polite lie. The polite lie. Someone says, how are you doing today? And You say, I'm fine. But you're not. A polite lie. Number eight is exaggeration. We exaggerate when we make the truth bigger than it really is. <laughs> Did you see the traffic on 301 today? I have never seen so many people on the road. And yet you have. Like last Christmas Eve. Or the the classic example, right? You should have seen the bass I caught last week. It was this big. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Exaggeration. Number nine is the white lie. The white lie. Some people call this the tactful lie. This is the, the little lie that we're tempted to tell in order to avoid an awkward conversation. So maybe someone asks you to ride with them as they head to Raleigh for something. And you might say to them, oh, you know, I, I can't. I'm afraid I'm, I'm busy that day. And the truth is not that you have some matter you can't get out of. It's just that you really don't want to go with that person to Raleigh. And instead of saying to that person's face, I really don't want to go to Raleigh with you, you tell a little white lie. And yet it's still a lie. It's still dishonest. Surely there are better ways to handle that situation. So think of them so you can share them on Wednesday night. Uh, We are to be a people known for truth in every situation and every conversation. Number 10. Number 10 is the bold-faced lie. The bold-faced lie. This is when you lie and it is obvious to everyone that you're lying, and yet you do it anyway. Little children do this a lot, right? So the toddler comes up to you and he has chocolate smeared all over his face. And you're like, did you eat the cookie? No. Are you sure you didn't eat the cookie? No. Right? And everyone can see the cookies all over him. That's the bold-faced lie. So we'll talk about those on, on Wednesday night. Now, I want to close tonight by saying a few words about this 11th kind of lie. Broken promises. Broken promises. We lie when we make promises to people and do not keep them. In Mount Hermon, few lies can do more damage to other people and to your witness and to the honor of God's name than not keeping your promises. Our hope of heaven stands or falls on whether or not God keeps His promises. Our peace and security and joy in this life depends on our confidence that God will keep every promise He has made to us And that heaven really is in our future. If we are to be ambassadors of God in this world, this is something that must be of priority for us. We must keep our word. If you've made a commitment, keep that commitment. Even if it turned out to be harder than you thought. Even if your circumstances changed and you you wish you never made that commitment, even if it's now inconvenient and requires sacrifice on your part, if you've made a commitment to someone, you should keep your word. Our ultimate example of this is our Savior, Jesus. He's ever faithful. All of God's promises to us are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, every one of God's promises will come true for us. And look at the cost of God's promises coming true for us. Jesus came and lived and died on the cross. He suffered the agony of the cross in order that the promises of God would be kept and that He would be found faithful. So knowing that about our God, let us be children of our God. Let us be truth-telling, promise-keeping people. And let us not bear false witness against our neighbor. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.